Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. And mercifully, what do we always say? Mercifully. 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 Yeah. We're somehow both on this podcast right now against all technological odds. Well, uh... (laughs) go on, Braden. Let's just roll through it. (laughs) Ben Portnoy of the state. A gentleman who has one of the best beats in the country. He covers South Carolina Gamecocks football and the Masters. What an asshole. He will join us later on in the show. One of my favorite reporters in the SEC. And he's going to give us a good 20-plus minutes of, of South Carolina Gamecocks football. The installation of the new offense. What does Spencer Rattler need to do to take the next step? Where is this roster today relative to the last two seasons? Expectations for South Carolina. All kinds of cool and fun details. Um, because, of course, I have already... In one week of you being gone, apparently pissed off more South Carolina fans. I literally right. left for one week and I come back to just just absolute chaos, madness, voice notes, calls, <laughs> written letters about how much of an ass you've been about the Gamecocks. Written, written letters. Yeah. You wouldn't <laughs> believe you wouldn't believe the letters I've received. <laughs> USPS did, did snail Meemaw? mail delivery. What yeah. People did, did are me- Meemaw's all across Meemaw? South Carolina are pissed. And writing handwritten letters <laughs> in cursive about what a ass you are. Wow, wow! I've I've taken this. So to we'll another, get into that. Taking this to another level. No, we've got. You guys are going to hear a great conversation about South Carolina football, which is very interesting to me because they've overachieved for two years. They've got expectations. The roster is getting better. They have a veteran quarterback who started a bunch of games. He is inconsistent, which is the facts, which pissed people off last week. Um, we had him ranked like sixth in the SEC, I think, last week. So go check out our rankings in the in the quarterback. But you said he five. should be lower. <laughs> hey, I had Joe Milton at ten, and Tennessee fans hate me. So I don't, I don't like you can't make them, you can't make them all happy. Anyway, uh, so uh, as as a part of, uh, you're gonna hear some audio from one of Aaron's South Carolina fans who hates uh, hates me right now. But I also want to a call to action for all of our listeners out there because I saw one of the worst takes I've seen in sort of a spring practice kind of conversation from the media. And it's not really this one particular reporter's problem, um, but it's just an absolutely garbage take. It's a terrible take. And just like my South Carolina quarterback take, apparently from last week, we want you, the audience, to send us the worst takes you find. And we want to try to incorporate them into the show, especially in the offseason. If you see something, internet, TV, Twitter, social media. Say something. (laughs) Podcast. Me and Aaron are eligible for this. Send us the worst takes you find, and we will have some conversations to try to debunk some of those takes on the show. So please, Braden's send the that. most eligible worst take bachelor of all time right now. Yeah. If you that's... see something, say something. <laughs> I, I think I know what that means. Um, Alabama. Speaking speaking about Alabama and Tony Mitchell, did Nick Saban take a direct shot at his, at his coworker? We'll let we'll let uh, the, the listeners decide. Uh, spring storylines across uh, all across the, the SEC as camps are open all over the place. And what I think is really interesting is sort of, we need to have like some PSA here because I, I think people like we all want football news and we all want to talk about XYZ quarterback battle or an offensive line battle or whatever, but there needs to be a little bit of like, take it with a grain of salt at spring practice. So we'll, 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 we'll do some of our favorite storylines in the spring uh, <laughs> coming up as they are opening across the, the country. Missouri had to, by the way, uh, put their spring game inside. So no fans, which sucks because it, I mean, was, it was in the teens, wind chill in the teens, weather in the 20s in Missouri in March. Maybe you don't schedule your spring game this early in the spring. Too early. Too early. 
But either way, bummer. Uh, defense was dominant, apparently, <laughs> at Missouri. I'd say I'm shocked. Um, and then, of course, again, lots of South Carolina stuff coming up. Uh, I have also decided, Aaron, just on the spot, that Texas and Oklahoma are now like part of the show. Are you oh, okay with okay. that? Yeah, that's fine. That? We already kind of were doing that, but. Right. I think they just should like spring. You know, we're going to talk about spring storylines. I think Texas and Oklahoma should be a part of it. That's all. I don't so. disagree. Um, do you watch a lot of basketball? Before we get into any of that, of course, Ben Portnoy coming up, South Carolina. You're going to hear somebody yell at me for being stupid. Uh, spring storylines, worst takes in the SEC, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and you're here from Nick Saban in just a second. But do you watch any hoops? You got not nearly as much as I would have liked to. Uh, Tennessee first round. Well, I guess really the second round, technically the second round game. Um, okay, who'd they play? Dude. I'm blanking. No, before that. Oh, in the first round. Well, it's, uh, it's really the second round, but yeah, Louisiana. It's the it's the first fucking round. Okay, get it right. It's, it's not round. technically. It's the technically the second round. round. First round. Technically the second round. They beat it's... they beat the raging Cajuns. Billy Nape, the former fighting Billy Napiers. A little closer than most Tennessee fans would have liked, but those four and thirteen games will get you. They'll sneak up on you. Yeah, and then they punch Duke in the face. True. <laughs> not nearly as much as I wanted to, because I had to go to Vegas to speak at a conference, and then I had to go Ooh, on a work fancy. trip. I know. Never done that before. I don't know who gave me a mic in front of a bunch of people. Uh, at I least didn't. right here, I'm on Zoom and can be edited. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, and then I had to go out of time for seven days. So I didn't get to watch nearly as much basketball as I wanted to. What was your highlight? What stood out to you so far? Uh, I, I just... Mostly just commenting on the SEC teams. I mean, I think t t anytime you watch Duke lose, um, frankly, the fact that all the blue bloods are kind of out of it. North, I know Kentucky fans will listen to the show who are Kentucky you know, football fans. Um, but Kentucky being out, North Carolina being out, Duke being out, Indiana being knocked out. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind all the blue bloods being knocked out and seeing, you know, Arkansas, UConn, although UConn's got some track record there. Bama's going to play San Diego State. And then FAU, the Fighting Owls, the Fighting Tom Hermans, the Fighting Lane Kiffins. We're going to take on Tennessee and um, I just I just college basketball is so bizarre. It's just so bizarre. And the only reason I wanted to mention uh, college basketball is that the the basically the television ratings and the invent ad inventory for the tournament are were off all record breaking. They had a billion dollars worth of inventory Turner and CBS and they sold every penny of it every second of it. Ratings were the highest they've been in the regular season. So I'm just wow. I'm just wondering maybe fans are starting to pay more attention to college basketball for more than just March, but I don't know. We'll see. Just a, just a theory. I wonder what that is. That is so interesting. Like what about it? What about right now is causing that? Uh, there's nothing else on television. So maybe people uh, are watching in February. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's maybe, maybe that's the, what it is. And the SEC was pretty deep this year. Not, not, you know, Alabama was top heavy, but the rest of the conference is like Missouri could have been here just as much as Arkansas or Tennessee, Kentucky was, could have been here. I mean, there was just as many good. There was a lot of really balanced teams in the league. So, do you think it's um, partially because it's not gone a lot of the like the way people? Well, you never know what to do during March Madness, but in some of those like dominant programs that people are sick of seeing win or out, do you think that had to do with it? No, I just I think that there's a gap, a programming gap from the Super Bowl to like March Madness. Yeah, but there it, always is. But I th what I'm saying is that ratings are going up for everybody, like ESPN, Fox, oh. CBS, like ratings are going up for everybody and it, ratings, because I think what's happening is that people are learning how to market maybe like the month before the tournament. Yeah. And, and people obviously have nothing to watch in February. And True. so they're they're like, oh, Monday night, I'm going to watch SEC hoops. Wednesday night, I'm yeah. going to watch SEC hoops, you know, whatever. Makes so, sense. I, just interesting. Just just a thought, just something to keep an eye on. You got FAU in Tennessee on uh, Thursday, of course, Bama and San Diego State, Arkansas and UConn and Tennessee could absolutely have a pretty clear path into the final four their first ever 
So keep an eye on that. And of course, the greatest Bama team in the history. It's got Brandon Miller on it, which is okay. I don't love it, but it's okay. Which brings us to Nick Saban. And Tony Mitchell, first of all, Tony, the details of Tony Mitchell's situation are, are fascinating to me. Tony Mitchell is a freshman cornerback, 123rd ranked prospect, four-star. He was driving 141 miles an hour, I guess on spring break in Florida. Uh, gun no permit, I believe. Had $7,000 in cash, 226 grams of the marijuana, mm. which, by, which, by the way, is like half a pound. <laughs> it's a lot of grams of marijuana. You think so? What's the most amount of weed you have ever seen in your personal life? Like, I um, don't I don't know because I don't know what it weighs. Well, I don't either, but I'm just saying like have I don't have br- have you seen a brick like a big brick in before? person? Yeah, in person? No. I haven't either. I think I've seen like a quarter pound, an LP. <laughs> I, have... should, I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> yeah, what the hell are we doing? No, I, just I have know. not. Two, I think people here are 226 grams and like oh sh- oh my god. It's like it's half a pound. Which I guess uh, street value is about two grand. But don't you sell it in grams? Yeah, yeah. There's scales. And so everything. that's two hundred and twenty-eight large orders. No, you sell it in like uh, uh, three and a half grams or seven grams. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. closer yeah. to like thirty solid weed orders. <laughs> thirty <laughs> solid orders of weed. Look, you hung out with a lot of athletes in college. I just figured maybe you'd seen a brick sometime. You know. Like we've mm. all been, we've all been to college. Uh, I've never seen a brick. I would like to hold a brick of weed one day, just to just to say that I've done it. You know what I mean? Is um, that weird? Yeah. No. No. That's I support you. No. Like obviously inside of a, you know, like maybe at one of those uh, press conferences where the oh. no, no no one of those press conferences where the police are like, look at all this, and they put the dope on the table, like they say in the wire. Yeah. You know. And, and they divide like, it up after. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. It, it, it's all saran wrapped. <laughs> I want to be like, I just want to pick it up and see what it looks like. See what it feels like. That's all. We need to figure out another way to like okay. do that. Bring excitement. <laughs> to my life. This is what Keep going. This is what parenting has done to me. I watch nothing but crime dramas. I want to hold uh, a brick of weed. <laughs> all right. So Saban had some comments and uh, I want you to let, I want you all to decide and I want you to decide, Aaron, is this a direct shot? We're going to play the audio for you. Is this a direct shot at his his colleague, the basketball coach, Nate Oates, or is this just a result of Nick Saban having a very easy decision to make and maybe some comms meetings? So here's Nick Saban at the press conference suspending Tony Mitchell. Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team on all team activities until we gather more information about the situation and what his legal circumstance is. And, um, you know, I mean, guys, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing in being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around and what you do, who you associate yourself with and uh, the situations that you put yourself in. So um, it is what it is, but uh, there is, you know, cause and effect when you make, you know, choices and decisions that uh, put you in bad situations. All right. So Nick Saban says uh, almost verbatim the phrase that got Nate Oates in trouble a couple of weeks ago. Nate Oates said wrong spot at the wrong time. Nick Saban says there's basically no such thing as wrong place at the wrong time. Is this a direct shot at his his coworker who completely screwed up handling from a PR standpoint, the Brandon right. Miller situation? Um, or is this sort of like, oh, we've all had a bunch of comms meetings and PR meetings. And we've had a lot of conversations and Saban has 17 years to stand on and a bunch of championships. And there's very obvious evidence that this player specifically did something wrong and wasn't like 
third related to the crime. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. Like, like, what do you think this actually is? Is this is this a big deal as people are making it out to be? I don't think it was supposed to be a direct shot at his colleague. Um, I think it was more a direct message to his players, which is this is not even if this is the way it's being handled on this particular team or this particular program, whether it had been a colleague of his at Alabama or not, this will not fly in my locker room, in my program, and I will not be making exceptions for idiotic or dangerous choices. So I think it was more him directly communicating, which if, with his players, which if you watch press conferences, any sort of interview, coaches do that all the time. Their message a lot of times is not necessarily to the reporters, to the media, or to the even, even to the fan. It's re-emphasizing to the players, this is how this program works and don't get it twisted. Yeah. So I, I, I'm kind of torn on this. Okay. I, I can, I can, from a human standpoint, you know, what's happened inside the Alabama facility and program over the last couple of weeks, there has been a lot of meetings with higher ups about how to handle the PR situation that is Brandon Miller and the basketball mm -hmm. and the tragedy around the basketball program and right. or some of the players, like, you know, those meetings have taken place. Saban then gets something happens with his program and it's very simple and easy and direct because it's his player arrested for his crimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and he just goes, Oh, you're suspended indefinitely. And while the investigation is ongoing, makes perfect sense. It's an easy, again, an easy win because it's, I think it's a little bit more cut and dry. The situation. I don't think he says that specific phrase though. If it's, if he, if he's like super in favor of everything Nate Oates is doing and, because Nate Oates has made some enemies yeah. in the college, made some enemies in the college basketball world. He's like Saban's got a lot more sort of clout in that in that department, more respect amongst peers, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I, I don't it think was he too uses, close linguistically to I, be an accident. I think it was too specific. Do we and know about their relationship? We we don't have a ton of in depth knowledge. You and I, I've got I've got some assumptions basically, which is you know speculation as we as as one tends to do on a podcast. Um, I, I think that specific language was directed at, at NATO's. I don't think the entirety of the, the suspension, I, I think it's, there's a lot more other factors baked into what he did. Tony Mitchell getting suspended and Saban saying all these things, cause and effect behavior has consequences, blah, 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 blah. All that's just so easy because Tony specifically did something right. that he got arrested for. But I don't think he says that. I don't believe there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. Like that is very specific. It is very specific. Yeah. Don't, to me. Yeah. To me. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I didn't hear. And the question was asked how. Uh, yeah, I think he was just presenting. That's a good that's a good question. Actually, I think he just was saying like, all right, here's some like I think he just started with the, the announcement. Like, Yeah. OK, so so that that does make it seem more intentional because I hadn't heard if there was anything in front of that. If someone had said, hey, can you speak on this? Do you think so? And so is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Nick Saban had come back and said, I don't believe there's such thing as wrong place, wrong time. That would be less intentional. But if he just started a little monologue with that, I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree asked. with you. OK, yeah, well, I don't think anybody asked because it was like his first basically his first spring practice practice press conference and he basically i mean he talked about a lot of other stuff it feels more intentional then but he was asked about like quarterbacks and stuff and so you're right i should know if he was specifically asked that question but i didn't get that sense it got the sense that he was saying all right this is the news here's the news it, it is what it is behavior has effects move on i just kind of assumed he had been asked something like that but i shouldn't have assumed that either so yeah. interesting okay I, uh, well he and and they suspended tony mitchell before ever having talked to the press about it i believe so uh again i just i mean What's the deal with kids driving 150 miles an hour these days? Like that just seems stupid to me. But that's a whole other topic. Like yeah, that's, we don't have 200, that kind of time. 
226 grams of weed is far less concerning than the 141 miles an hour, in my opinion. But that's just me. Might um, be less dangerous, too. It's got to be. It's it's significantly less dangerous. Yeah. And a doctor will tell you that. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to get to some worst takes in the SEC. I found one on the internet. And, of course, one of your buddies wants to <laughs> ridicule me for my take last week. Um, so we'll have some fun with that. Ben Portnoy of the state giving us a really awesome South Carolina State of the Union. Uh, let's do some spring storylines that we're looking forward to. And because we're including Texas and Oklahoma in this, we just have to start with the first. The first is the PSA of don't get over. Just don't go insane with like a freshman who had a great spring. Don't go insane. Like big picture stuff, right? Focus on the big picture. Um, Missouri defense totally dominated in the spring. Defense totally dominated in the spring. That's because your starting quarterback didn't play. There's and a lot of factors. Br- and you have a brand new quarterback and the game was moved inside and it was a scrimmage. So I, I just, let's just not go too crazy. But Arch well, you Manning. You got a new OC too. And a new OC. Arch Manning, do you believe that he's pressing Quinn Ewers to be the starting quarterback at Texas? Spring storyline, number one. I'm let, let you do, go, go on your, go on your I, rant. I, I don't have a rant. I just think it's hilarious that it's, it's a, that it's a storyline. I don't, I, I think it, Quinn these Ewers. Are, a lot of these are a stretch. Quinn Ewers has a lot of talent and showed flashes. And if he's develops into the player he was supposed to be, then Arch Manning will sit on the bench for the last year in the Big 12 and then we'll take over when Quinn Ewers goes pro next year. Mm-hmm. And Arch Manning will be the starting quarterback in 2024, the first year in the SEC. Yeah. If Quinn Ewers sucks, then Arch Manning's going to play in the season, not in the spring, in the season. It's just not that complicated. That's the whole story. I, That's I don't the think whole there's thing. more. I don't think there's more to it. I don't either. Okay. All right. Good. There we go. Um, so, for example, let's go back to Missouri. I love you, Missouri. Let's go back to Missouri. Uh, Tristan Newsom, star linebacker, had a great, great, great spring. Really good in the um, in the spring game. Pick six. I hope that means he's really good, but I don't know if it does. We just don't know. So, it just as it an example, you know, just just take it easy, okay? But um, here's the thing: when you, it doesn't say you can. You can try to assess talent on an individual basis during the spring, like during these spring practices and games, because there's some things that are undeniable, like speed or agility or stuff like that on an individual level. But if you're making huge offensive passes, we don't know if that's because your defense is bad or your offense or you're good. So you're still that's why the spring games just don't mean that much to me, except for on an individual player basis, because you're playing yourself. So. Let's use Kentucky as an example. First of all, Mark Stoops, cardinal sin, having an open practice so that the media could watch the whole practice. They're probably going to lose at least two extra games this year because the media got to watch practice and tell the fans about what happened with their favorite football team. So I just want to get that out of the way. <laughs> Thank you. It's just, it's a, I'm very worried, Aaron. I'm very worried about Kentucky I'm sure football you are. now because they had an open practice where media got to watch. And one of the takeaways is that the offensive line is being rebuilt and that it's a critical component for Liam Cohen, new offensive coordinator, and Devin Leary, new quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's an okay storyline. You're it not going de- to decide who's the starting center or guard or left tackle. Sounds like tackle's more of a concern for Kentucky. But, like, that's it. Yeah. Yes, they need to figure out what their offensive line looks like with a new quarterback and new coordinator. That's important. And apparently the the tempo for the offense was better and faster and wider and all this other stuff. But, like, what does that really mean? I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, you had to kind of let like let the story live and die inside the small parameters that there are around it, which is just that, right. yeah, you can speculate about the quarterback. You can talk about what experience he gained from NC State, and is that enough to keep up in the SEC? You can talk about is there going to be chemistry or um, like 
a lot more opportunity on offense for a relationship between someone like Leary and Barry on Brown, like in terms of receptions. I mean, it's all, but it all lives and dies inside its little box. I, I completely agree. It's just sort of like, I, I'm trying to figure out how, what's the next phase of the box analogy. Cause it's like, it's, it's the, it's the present. You don't know really what's inside. You don't really open it until the, until the, till the first game of the season, right? Like you don't know. Right. And frankly, even fall camp is far better for learning about this stuff. If someone in fall camp is all of a sudden, like if Tristan Newsom again, going back to the linebacker, mm-hmm. the young linebacker from Missouri, if he's all of a sudden running with the ones, which he was in spring in, in Missouri's fall camp, mm-hmm. then we can start talking about how this young player is going to turn into a potential star. Keep an eye on him. I think that's fair. Graham Mertz. Oh, Graham Mertz is apparently having a great spring at Florida. Former Wisconsin transfer. We talked about him last week on the rankings pod, but like, for example, how many quarterbacks started for three years at a power five school weren't all that great and then transferred to another school and were great. And and like Tennessee fans are probably screaming like Hendon hooker. Like I I don't, he, I don't, I wouldn't compare him. Adrian Martinez transferred to Kansas state after playing for three years at Nebraska and probably had his best season at Kansas state. But then again, he got, got hurt. Right. It just, I think Graham Mertz could have his best season, but I don't, it's not because he's having a good spring. Mm-mm. Oh, I just, I figured out the box analogy. Oh, all right. Here. You can shake the box and you'll know if it's really heavy, like if it's shoes or if it's something big or bulky or really impressive, or you'll know if it's like something as light as a ticket. Is it symbolic of something good to come? Um, okay. um, but you still can't open the box. And until you really can open the box, you don't know what you're working with. Did that work? I think so. Sure. It was a stretch, much like most of these spring storylines. Continue. <laughs> uh, Auburn's quarterbacks apparently are behind, according to Hugh Freeze. Uh, I do think the Georgia quarter. This is a perfect one. The Georgia quarterback battle mm-hmm. is because Todd Munkin is gone as offensive coordinator. And we've talked about this. Carson Beck is your favorite to work because he's a perfect sort of Mike Bobo quarterback. Uh, he's apparently you know, losing a, a few pounds and apparently... Gunnar Stockton or Brock, Brock Vandergriff, excuse me, Brock Vandergriff. I yeah. Get all the Vandergriff. Lax bros, I get all the lax bros confused. <laughs> um, Brock Vandergriff has gained a bunch of weight and he's putting on weight and all this other stuff. So like, that's a really interesting thing to study and could be critical in, in the SEC this year. I could also argue George is going to go 12 and 0 no matter who starts. Yeah. He could make that argument or 11 and one. Um, but you know, what are we going to learn about these guys in the spring? It's all about just Mike Bobo and the rest of that staff getting as many reps as possible with these guys. And again, Mike Bobo recruited these guys at other places. He coached them last year. They all were on the roster last year. I think Gunnar Stockton ran the scout team last year. Like they, they kind of know, you know, what's going on here with these guys. I don't think we're going to learn in the spring about it. No. And the same thing here, I kind of came up with when I was looking into spring, you know, stuff that we could talk about today is to me, it just keeps coming up when these major changes are happening, like the the growing pains of transitioning out of a franchise quarterback, if you will, like Stetson Bennett's been for Georgia over the course of his career. Um, The storylines that are popping up are the things that are going to help ease that transition. And a lot of that comes down to, like we just said about Missouri with the um, with the receiving uh, with the 
receivers and what they're going to be able to do. And you still have Brock Bauer, so you still got that in your back pocket. But how's it going to work with Thomas and Dominic Lovett? And what's the relationship going to be like between whoever wins that starting position, even though we both have an idea about who we think that will be, and these other tools that will be in place? They're transfers from Mississippi State and Missouri. Um, So will that kind of help ease the pain of losing someone like Stetson Bennett? But again, it's all these stories are speculatory, not really anything indicative. Broderick Broderick Jones is gone. Uh, Kenny McIntosh is gone. There's a lot of transition there. The coordinator, the the, the coach, Darnell Washington is gone. Like you got a lot of transition, but Georgia is a machine right now. And now I think what's what's fascinating. Here's what I would say. Here's what I think is my favorite part of this stuff. It seems like Kirby Smart can't really get away from this. Like the Justin Fields, like Jake Fromm, as a freshman, led them to the national championship game. Then Justin Fields gets to campus and they have a, there's a big whole brouhaha there about Justin Fields, right? Like there's the whole thing about what happened to him in the stands and the student section. And that's why he transferred and he goes to Ohio State. And now he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. So there's this whole Jake Fromm, Justin Fields thing. Then there's the whole JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett thing, which mm-hmm. didn't, didn't have to happen two years ago, but right. Kirby, Kirby kind of let it happen. And and I think there's I think he likes this. I think this is my this is my maybe this is my hot take. I I think Kirby likes to pull the psychological levers on his quarterbacks a little bit more publicly and a little bit more like overtly than other guys. Like Saban, you you mentioned Saban's talking to his players all the time in press conferences. Mm-hmm. I, I I he wants to push them. He wants to challenge them. See what they've got. See what they're made of. And that it wouldn't be like. We have to have some Georgia quarterback controversy, don't we? Like that's that's the that's the. It name would of the feel game. wrong if we didn't. And oh, by the way, we're going for an unprecedented third national championship in a row. Yes. <laughs> like all within the framework of that story. Yeah, coaches um, all treat that different of what they want out in the public eye and what what coaches are protecting versus when they're starting to kind of push those, like you said, psychological buttons early. Everyone has a different tactic when it comes to that. Um. What about you? you got any? I, I've got a couple more. You got any other? I, oh, how about this? Uh, uh, Harold Perkins, of course, the superstar freshman for LSU, changed his jersey to number four. Big story. Big story. He's no longer number. I think he was number forty last year as a freshman. Um, how about how about this? What do you think about Brian Kelly? Says one player last year at LSU's practice, spring practice, got to twenty miles an hour. He's got nine this year. How about that? Wow. Probably going to beat Bama again on the road. Well, a hot take. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. I. I'm, these are like it's real stuff, but it's hard to get like it's hard for me to put too much value on this stuff. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to become really emotionally invested in these storylines for me, but I'm doing it for the <laughs> good, me, the greater good. Like, give me give me give me something you're you're actually interested in. like like be honest, genuinely interested in in the spring. You already mentioned one, the receiving yeah. core and the weapons around the new quarterback at Georgia and inside of a new system. I think that's all very interesting. I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's that's most of kind of what I clung to with these. And then for me, just everything going on with Mississippi State with losing Mike Leach tragically and how that program is going to, you know, how they pivot and what they're going to be able to do. Um, And I think with the offensive, not necessarily, well, I guess tempo is, is part of it too, but just that air raid style offense that Mike Leach was so well known for is there'll be probably more of a balance on offense with the new offensive coordinator. Um, and then, uh, you know, following, you know, Mike Wright has transferred Mississippi state in general is interesting to me. You've got 
Vanderbilt transferring or Mike Wright from Vanderbilt transferred to Mississippi State. You obviously have a new offensive coordinator in place that is probably going to try to keep a lot of what the guys responded well to with Mike Leach, but also bring it back to what likely he feels is a more realistic offensive style, which is more of a mix, a little bit more balanced. Um, and because as we, as we know, is it Barbe is how you say it? I believe so. Yes. Barbe, Kevin Barbe, new offensive coordinator. Um, and you know, in order to pull off the air raid, it works when it works, but you have to do it and do it really well or else you can yep. kind of get eaten alive. So just seeing how that program not only psychologically transfers out of having Mike Leach as their coach, but how they also adapt on the field, I think is really interesting. I, I, I saw clips of Bobby Petrino coaching Connor Wigman on a practice field in Huckin College Station. Uh, like, again, the storyline is like the real stories are can Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino coexist at Texas A&M? Like that, that's the real story, but we, we're not going to know that in one spring. Bobby P is going to go out there and do pretty good work with the quarterbacks. I imagine. I think he's, I, I, if I'm Connor Wigman, I'm ecstatic to have Bobby Petrino as my offensive coordinator. Like, I think yeah. that's uh, like, but what does he actually, how far does he actually grow during the spring? You know, who knows? But what, what's really important is what happens to the offense. If it's really great, six or seven games into the season, or if it's really terrible, six or seven games into the regular season. Either one is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I just got to wait a long time to find out. But we're not going to know. We're not going to know. Um, it's the same thing with Auburn. Like, we know Auburn will, will end in some giant ball of blazing inferno. But is it, is it four years from now? Is it two years from now? Is it six years from now? Who knows? As they do. As one does on the planet. And fires follow certain people. Which brings me to South Carolina. New offense. New install. New group of players. Lots of weapons around Spencer Rattler. Daryl Dow Loggins now the coordinator. Uh, what is that all going to look like? How do they keep winning games like this? Ben Portnoy is going to answer all these really tough questions from the state coming up in just a moment. However, that's our spring storyline. Some of those are like real, and some of those are here's how you should approach them. I feel like is kind of what what we're doing there. <laughs> right. Like Florida fans, don't tweet me how how good Graham Mertz is in spring practice. If you want to tweet me some takes that you think are absurd and ridiculous about other teams in the SEC, please send me all of your the terrible takes that you find on the internet, on television, on radio. Send them to me. And Y'all we know just, Braden lives in the Twitter gutter. We sewer. I love the sewers. I love the sewers, and we will we will we will embrace them, laugh about them, debunk them on the show as you send them to us at Braden Gall, at the Aaron Dugan, at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can send her a DM. Thank you. <laughs> um, all <laughs> right. All so, good things begin. So I saw this from a Dennis Dodd column, and we'll get to that. Th this, this. Uh, here's an example of a bad take, and then we'll get to South Carolina fans ripping me. How about that? Sound good? Okay. Sounds good. So here is an example of what I'm talking about. Dennis Dodd, who is a, is a I, I've known him for a very long time, perfectly wonderful reporter. He does 23 spring storylines a couple of weeks ago. The very last line, however, of like this, the 22nd storyline is about Tennessee and Nico Iamaleava, the five-star quarterback who is the backup at Tennessee, not the starter. The backup, Joe Milton, mm -hmm. is the starter. And at the very end down there, it, it, there's one little sentence that says, and you won't believe this, probably you will. Well, uh, well, actually, you will. There are already whispers that he might not be worth the con the NIL contract that he got, which was the eight reportedly the $8 million contract. Mm -hmm. And what I find fascinating is how can, it, how can Josh Heupel leave it? Let's say his source, the whisper, 
comes from the head coach, the offensive coordinator, like the two people in charge of the quarterback. How do they know before he's even thrown a pass in practice, which he has now, of course, at time of taping, but not when he wrote the article, that he's not worth the $8 million NIL contract? How does anybody know that? That's one of the worst. It's not a Dennis Dodd take. It's Dennis Dodd's source. And that take seems like one of the dumbest things I could possibly find. Like, that's just ridiculous to me. It does feel... I don't even understand why why you have to make that comment yet. Somebody told him. He said he said he heard whispers. And and I'm 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 not attacking Dennis Dodd. I'm not attacking Dennis Dodd. He's just reporting what he hears. No, 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 no. I'm not I'm, either. I'm attacking the whisp the people doing the whispering. Yeah. I mean, I, I just seems I, I don't I don't know what that does for anybody, but like, oh, he's not he's not he might not be worth his four year, eight million dollar contract, eight seconds into the contract. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. What? Also, you're talking about one of the most unpredictable and a very dangerous game. So how do you know what anybody is? At with Oh, by the way, 18-year-old uh, kids. Yeah, they're so that children. Is, that is an example of what we want you to send us. Terrible yes. takes. Of which, of course, take. of which, of course, you and I are eligible to be framed into this de- debate of, oh, that's a terrible take. Terrible no take. No one is safe. So with that in mind, one of your buddies... Avid listener, fringe element, South Carolina Gamecock diehard fan, had this to say about my takes. We're here for the beef. I got beef, got qualms, got issues. Uh, first and foremost, I want to extend my deepest apologies and condolences. You know, it's become quite clear something horrible at some point, some sort of trauma happened to Braden. Uh, at the hands of a South Carolina fan, or maybe on Twitter. I don't know. But I want to extend some condolences, and I want to apologize on behalf of Gamecock Nation. We're not all bad people. So whatever happened, we're sorry. I'd like to send some, some maybe some treats, uh, donut holes, maybe a Jimmy John's platter. Clearly, something happened uh, between the Gamecocks and Braden, and I, I, I want to be the first to apologize. Um, we had a few things last year, but, you know, nothing nothing too egregious. And then this quarterback podcast comes out, and we got to the middle tier. Uh, another kind of warning of, of levity, just saying, listen, all these guys are kind of interchangeable. You know, we're, we're going to have some that we rank a little bit lower that are going to perform extremely well. We might have some that are ranked a little bit higher that perform a little bit lower, yada, yada. And then it was like a storm cloud out of a Disney movie came over the podcast and Spencer Rattler's name gets mentioned. And it's just a, it's a different podcast. He literally go the first thing Braden says is, I don't agree with this at all. You know, I think he should be a couple of spots down. The part that really blew me away was he goes, he said, if you take his two top games away, he's trash. This dude's garbage. Stop talking about him. He's not going to do anything. Yada, yada. So basically what you're saying is, I don't like him. I just kind of wanted to talk some shit, which that's also fine. If you really don't like South Carolina, that's okay. But my point is, I don't expect anybody to be on the same page. I'm a South Carolina fan, so obviously I love listening to South Carolina pump up tracks. I listen to SEC Fringe Element because I like hearing what's going on with the rest of the SEC. I just think y'all should know it does play pretty negatively towards South Carolina. And I know I'm not the only South Carolina fan that listens to y'all. So maybe we just lighten up on the I hate South Carolina narrative. It's, it's, uh, it's a little distressing. 
All right. Steven Teaster for the win on that. Um, he's not happy with you, clearly. That's fine. But he is going to send us snacks, which I'm here for. I'm down for some. Yeah, I'm down for snacks. I like donut. Mm-hmm. Definitely donut holes. Blueberry cake donut holes. Chocolate cake donut holes. I'm here for all of that. Uh, not a big like- Jimmy John's girl. I just want to throw that out there now, Teaster. First of all, so I, I have a couple of different ways I could go on this, Dukes. I, I can either uh, lean into all of this and say, look. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I don't believe in mustard-based barbecue, you fucking idiots. I could, could do that, but do I wouldn't that. do. I wouldn't want to do that because I would I feel be like rude. you kind of halfway did, but it's okay. But that would be rude. You meant that. That would be rude. That would be disrespectful to a wonderful state of which my brothers live in that I vacationed in just in October, frankly. Or I can, or I can say I can go the other direction and just be a shill, and I can be like, "Look, you're so right. My apologies. I have hated." South Carolina with every fiber of my being my entire life. And I think they're going to win 10 games now. So I could do that. Ooh. As you, as you can tell with all of this, none of that is really what I think. <laughs> I don't think they're terrible. I don't have any negative feelings towards South Carolina. I think the game day atmosphere is spectacular. I, I think the state is wonderful. There's nothing that's ever happened to me in the past from any person related to, or in and around the university. Um, I just don't think Spencer Rattler is that great. And also didn't say any of that shit. He said, I said on the pod, you just, did say some of that shit. He said, you, no, you know, I went back so and listened. He, so I went back listen, and listened. Listen. I didn't say he was trash. He just I didn't said, say he was garbage. You cut out the part. You cut out the part that said he was not quoting you word for word, but at first he said probably more along the lines of exactly what you said. And then for probably dramatic effect, he then translated that to say you, that you said he was trash and a piece of shit. He embellished what I said, what I said on the pod last week. And this is what really, this is actually probably what drives sports fans and like listeners crazy for all reason. There is no like smoking gun here. There's no, there's nothing. I just don't know. And I said it on the podcast exactly this way last week. I said, I just don't know if you're going to get a significantly better player out of Spencer Rattler this year than you did last year. And last year, he had two great games and 11 very average ones. And those are just the facts. That's not an opinion. Those are just the facts. And so I what what I said, even on the I went back and listened. I said, look, he's ranked number six. I don't necessarily agree, but I think they're all about the same. And I understand. I said it three times. I understand why he's ranked in the top six in the SEC. And I understand the upside. I just don't know if you're going to get it this year. That's almost verbatim with the same tone and the same thing. I have zero ill will towards South Carolina. There's not a single thing that's negative happened in my entire life. Let I, me I even, let me say no. what where I think this all stems from. Let me just say this. And I've apologized I, like 12 times on the show. God. But then you just keep going back. But it's okay. It's And I'm not saying you're doing it because you're South Carolina. I, it's think, just what I, think. I think that the root of this problem is that we... I'll just put myself in this category too, to make it fair. I think when South Carolina has good things going on, we have maybe uh, not given credit where credit is due always. So when we don't, when we talk any sort of shade, we didn't talk any sort of opposite of shade at some times when maybe they deserved it. So maybe there are, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe we didn't give credit, all the credit where credit was due at certain times. And so now we're clinging to everything. I've done so many apologies to South Carolina fans on this show. I don't even know how many more I need to do. Um, They they have vastly over exceeded every expectation. 
And and one of the things I think Ben's going to talk about uh, moving forward on the pod here is <laughs> is that the offense was they were running too many formations. It was too complicated. They were doing too many things, and they needed like everyone was overthinking it, and that's why they were running kind of slow and kind of uh, it, it wasn't where Shane Beamer or Spencer Rattler or fans wanted it to be. Right. Um, and frankly, frankly, my, your boy here is acting a lot like a Tennessee fan. I just want to point that out. Um, Ooh, yeah, shots fired. Yeah. Now, now we're coming. Now, now <laughs> the energy levels are up. All right, let's move. But, but then, but then they. They kind of slowed it all down. They dumbed it. Not dumb, see, that's not even the term I Ooh, want to use. They here we go. <laughs> they simplified the what the offense was doing, and they took advantage of the strengths that Spencer Rattler had, and it and it all kind of clicked at the end. And that's all. That like that's exactly what Ben is going to talk about in the future. I will say this: if you want to, what I meant by that Tennessee comment, Tennessee spends every every single time anyone says anything about their program. They never, the reason they were in 15 years of garbage program wise is because they never looked inside. They never looked inward at themselves. They never looked at Tennessee. If you have an issue with people having questions about Spencer Rattler or the offense or the program or whatever, I would ask, why do you have 90,000 people at a stadium and no division and one division championship in 30 years? That's what I would ask. We could all stand to look inward. <laughs> um, I love South Carolina, man. I do. I love it. I got nothing our, against it. And by the way, the most money I've ever bet on a college football game is literally $5. And I know how pathetic that is to admit publicly. So yeah, it is I, I, you, not braggable. I've never lost more than $5 on a college football game. Well, um, and then, should we move on to the second part of this? Yeah. So equation? here's, here's, this is what I love. <laughs> so when we're, when we're discussing spring practice earlier in the show, right? Those are our spring practice storylines we're talking about. Um, we're doing quarterback rankings because this is the spring practice vibe I'm really looking for. Now, let me tell you who this is. This is Teaster, Steven Teaster's, who we just heard, his girlfriend. You've uh-huh. heard from her on the show before. Um, she is a self-admitted attention whore. She is a, <laughs> a successful model. She played volleyball at UCF, and she's been on the show before complaining about how she never got the Lazy River she was promised as a recruit. Jeez. Here, she could not share even negative attention, even for a second. So she <laughs> wanted in on it. And I said, okay, send me your take on spring storylines and practice. This is what Abby sent. Spring practice is the best for so many reasons. One, it's not dry season. You can go out drinking the night before. It's kind of like a bonding experience when you're hungover with your teammates doing 5 a.m. weights. It's like, we're going to die, but we're going to die together. And then spring practice is half the time. So you have... Half the day after, go to the pool, lay out, hit the cafeteria, get your hungover munchies in. Spring is the best. Best of both worlds. And no games. <laughs> that is the spring practice energy I am here for. It's that, not more complicated is, than Abby that, made nope. it. Let's drink some beers. Let's go to the pool. Let's not go to class. Die together is the tone Die for together. the spring. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things. This is That's the kind of energy I'm looking for here. It's all it is. Kind of energy. So, Abby, you had your moment as if you weren't already on a billboard in Times Square. You she had really? to get on Fringe Element podcast. Yeah, she's Damn. freaking badass. That's pretty cool. Uh, I change everything. I take everything I just said about John aback. Way to go, dude. <laughs> it's it's Steven, but that's fine. Oh, <laughs> you are such an asshole. Oh, my God. You call him by his last name. I didn't know what his first name was. I apologize. You just assumed it was John. Move along. Braden. I take it all back, Steven. Well done. <laughs> Here, here, here for some actual real conversation about South Carolina football. Ben Portnoy from the state.
Ben, great to see you. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm good, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. I know it's been a minute since we caught up at, at Media Day, so this is this is really cool. Well, and s- since then, of course, South Carolina has yet another season that is largely inexplicable. Uh, but Shane Beamer, Beamer continues to overachieve. I have had to apologize to South Carolina fans multiple times now, two seasons in a row. So before we get into like, what is Spencer Rattler going to be? What is the offense going to look like? What's the defensive front going to look like? All that kind of stuff, spring state of the union that I want to do with you. Uh, I just am curious, do you do, do you have a definition for why and how Shane Beamer has done what he's done in this first two seasons? Yeah, I was going to say, it's a good thing nothing's happened since we talked last, right? But um, no, I, I mean, I think, I don't know if I have a definition. I think it's crazy for one. Um, I, I mean, I think the way that South Carolina ended this season was insane and there's no real way to sort of see it coming, right? Like I, I was joking with someone the other day and um, you know, we put in our predictions before every game and stuff like that. And, and before the Tennessee game, South Carolina had gotten their doors blown off by Florida and kind of, a, I mean, as we all kind of learned, a pretty mediocre Florida team that, you know, had some moments, but but really wasn't that great. You know, I think I picked South Carolina to lose that next game to Tennessee, like 55 to 10 or something. It was sort of like, OK, they'll win six games. It'll, they'll go six and six. They'll lose to Clemson. They'll lose to Tennessee and go play in Birmingham or something right for the bowl game. Well, then they go out and beat Tennessee, and, and it's sort of like, okay, what's going on here? And, I, you know, I remember after that game joking with Beamer and saying, you know, I think the last three times I picked South Carolina will lose by three touchdowns. They've won the game. So, I don't, you know, what the hell do I know? But, like, it is, um, it is fascinating. I mean, it brings a lot of excitement. They obviously played great in that Tennessee game, great in the Clemson game, and frankly played a really good bowl game against Notre Dame with some limited numbers and, and sort of, I don't want to say hit a wall necessarily, but they, they had some limitations as far as what they had personnel-wise that that I think they faded a little bit down the stretch. And, you know, you take that with a grain of salt, but played a really good game considering the circumstances in a, in a really wild bowl game, frankly, uh, against Notre Dame. So I, I think that there's a lot of excitement. It's a really impressive turnaround, especially considering the circumstances going into this, that Tennessee and Clemson game. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement here. I think folks are are rearing to go for year three. And I think Beamer sort of all of that goodwill um, that he's bought up over time is, is sort of coming to a head in a good way. Um, and I think folks are, you know, again, I think just really excited for what, uh, what might be coming down the pipe in the fall. Well, and, and teams and players and young people in particular uh, expectations change people. There's no question about that, but I like Beamer ball has been a phrase in college football for like 30 or 40 years now. And I'm, I'm assuming it doesn't fall far from the tree for him because it seems like they're doing a lot of the same things, like the little tiny things around the edges of a game that allow you to put yourself in a position to win because it can't be it can't be like pure talent that's winning because they're going up against teams that have better recruited rosters in general. Uh, it's not experience at the head coaching position because this is a guy that and he's he's a very open about it, right? Like, hey, you don't need to be a coordinator to be a great head coach. He said that to me personally on the show last year. So I, I just... What, again, I'm trying to put, is it is Beamer Ball just the way you wrap it all up into one phrase? Is there something else that they're doing? I, I think that's part of it. I think, too, you know, Shane Beamer, we probably don't talk about it enough, whether locally or nationally or whatever. Like, Beamer's done a really good job of pushing buttons in games in the right spots. And there's, you know, th- it's a hard thing to necessarily, like, wrap your head around and, like, stick in a stat outside of maybe, like, fourth down conversions or something like that. It's It's a little bit of a tricky thing to, like, actually put a, like, legitimate number on but Beamer has a really good feel for games and I think he presses the right buttons at the right times we see some of these fake punts and fake field goals and things and obviously they've worked so that's part of it Um, and Pete Lembo deserves a lot of credit for that at special team on the special team side of special teams coordinator but uh 
it's something that a lot of people around Beamer talked about before he got this job, when he got this job, um, and people that I've talked to since. Like Shane's got a really good sense of how to push the right buttons in a game, and you see it, you know, even in games like against Georgia, uh, where South Carolina goes and loses by thirty-five points, and you know, a lot of people were losing by thirty-five points to Georgia this year, so take it with a grain of salt, but. Um, you know, it was a game where South Carolina kind of came out swinging. They ran some trick, tricky stuff early in the game. They went for a fourth down early in the game and converted it. Uh, I think they ran a fake punt around midfield early in that game. You know, it was one of those things where, like, South Carolina wasn't just going to sit back and wait for Georgia to destroy their will. They were going to come out and try and at least take it and try and at least do something to try and sort of flip the tide or at least poke in that game. And, and I think that's something that South Carolina has done a really good job of, of overall that has helped with some of those things around the periphery, like you yeah. said. Um, you know, they're tricky. They do some weird things. But but I think that that's part of it, too. Like, they just – this coaching staff has a really good feel for when to push those buttons. And I think that's something that kind of goes a, a little unnoticed, maybe, or, or under the radar, I think, with why South Carolina has been so successful. It's, it's interesting. Like, in-game management is such a huge part of evaluation in the NFL – because there's not much other stuff you can do. Like where in college, it's about recruiting and coaching up your staff and like boosters and all this other stuff. But it, it does kind of seem like in-game management is a little undervalued sometimes in college football. Even knowing when to run a wildcat package is is an interesting situation, which they did very, very well near the end of the season, especially against Tennessee in particular. So let's get to that part of this equation, which is I think some of what makes it hard to explain South Carolina's success is sort of the anomaly of the offense, or at least the idiosyncrasies. I don't even know how to explain it. Spencer Rattler has nine touchdowns in 11 games. Then he has nine touchdowns against Vanderbilt and Tennessee combined. They they beat two really good football teams at the end of the season. Again, some of which against Clemson was was the definition of, of Beamer ball. So it seems like Marcus Satterfield, the coordinator at the time, didn't look all that special. Lots of people critical of him, media and fans. Then it looks like they sort of get creative at the end of the year, but then he leaves for Nebraska. Nebraska fans are kind of excited, but South Carolina fans are totally fine he's gone. Uh, Dow Loggins, I'm in Nashville. I covered him for the Tennessee Titans. They're not particularly fond of him, but I'm willing to give him a chance because it's a different situation. How, like, <laughs> I don't even know what the question is, Ben. Like, you have a quarterback who's an anomaly. The coordinator last year was an anomaly. The coordinator this year is a question mark. How does all? How do all of these pieces fit together to try to even begin to project what they look like in 2023 yeah so i'll start on the satterfield thing because you know it's it, we were joking about this before get, hopping on is like you know folks in nebraska seem pretty excited about marcus going and taking over the offense there and south carolina folks are kind of looking at it like why and you know that's not a knock on satterfield like look marcus is a decent enough guy like was always good with the media i'm not knocking the guy for just you know that but like it, it's sort of one of those things where like south carolina was really really skip, sort of up and down and really inconsistent offensively under Satterfield until those final two games where they kind of threw, threw caution to the wind. And, you know, Satterfield even said it after the game, I think um, maybe after the Tennessee game where he literally, I, I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I think he came into the press conference the next week and basically said, yeah, I basically said F it and was going to throw out whatever I wanted to throw out and it worked. And, and I think, you know, the more scientific fact of it is, and Beamer talked about this a little bit after the Tennessee game that at Florida, South Carolina was running a lot of personnel packages. They were running something like, I don't have the exact number, but something like 15, 20, whatever, personnel packages. They had some injuries. They had a lot of young guys on the field. When you're trying to run that many different packages and that many guys in and out of a game and lots of different looks and things like that in a hostile environment, they had a couple of turnovers in a row. It, it spirals. Like that's not, that's guys sort of drinking through a water hose a little bit in a really tough place to play, even against kind of a mediocre Florida team. Like that's a tough situation. 
And Beamer was talking about how in the Tennessee game and the Clemson game and, and down the stretch, South Carolina went from whatever it was, 15, 20, 25, whatever the magic number is, to basically like five personnel packages in the Tennessee game. They're functionally running like the same six plays and just working over and over again. Like, like this wasn't a matter of, you know, run the touchdown play kind of thing, but it was just, it, it was, you know, they executed the plays that they were able to execute and just outperform the defense. And I think that that's what you saw in the Tennessee game. You saw it a little bit in the Clemson game, which was a little more back and forth, whereas Tennessee game, they kind of ran out ahead. Um, and you saw that again in the Notre Dame game as well. So it was definitely like schematically, there were definitely some adjustments made. And I think credit to Marcus Satterfield and the staff for figuring out some of those things by the end of it. I mean, it took, you know, what, I guess at that point, almost 20 some games to get there, but they got there. Um, now we'll see. Now moving forward toward this year, like that, that's sort of like the anomaly of last year. But then when you look at this year, I think that, you know, Dow Loggins is a guy that obviously has a long track record in the NFL um, for better or worse. Um, you know, I think he's a guy, you know, I spent a lot of time the last month or two talking to folks that worked with Dow in the NFL and kind of what he's about. And, and I sat down with Dow about two weeks ago now. Um, and he's the kind of guy that when you sit down and talk to him, like you get it, why people like him. Like he's a, he's an easygoing guy. He's a really nice guy great to talk ball with, like knows his stuff. But I do think that there are some differences between the NFL and the college game that will help him in the sense of like, you hear it a lot. And, and Dow talked about this. I think in his intro press conference of like, when you're in the NFL, you're not necessarily recruiting your roster. It's sort of what's in front of you is what you have. And obviously it takes management and things like that. And that's, that's not exactly, you know, apples to apples, but, but that's sort of it, right? You're, you're sort of got the roster that you're handed. And obviously Dow was in some tricky situations, whether that was in Tennessee or, or New York or Miami and, and the Bears as well. And, and talk to John Fox about it, too. And John said, you know, there was a year that I think it was John's last year in, in Chicago. The Bears went three and 13. And John said he was like, honestly, that's one of the most impressive coaching jobs I've seen was Dowell dealing with that quarterback room. And the fact that we won three games was a miracle because it was, you know, I think they went from right Mitch Trubisky to to to, uh, to Matt Barkley to Brian Hoyer. And I mean, it was a mess of a quarterback situation. And again, like, you know, this as well as anyone, like if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to yeah. win games in the NFL or college or high school, frankly. So I think that there is some truth to that. Um when you look at Dowell, like I think he's a guy that's going to adjust to the personality he has, and I think that's helpful. I think that's something that South Carolina didn't do a great job of under Satterfield, and that it tried to be creative, but it didn't necessarily get there. And you felt like South Carolina wasn't necessarily doing the things it needed to do to put guys in the right position. And that sounds like a cliche thing, and we hear that from coaches all the time. But I do think that that was that, and I think that Dowell, at least in what he said, and of course we haven't seen him call a play and take a spring game with a grain of salt. But I do think that there's going to be a little bit more of a conscious effort to taking, I don't want to say like the Lane Kiffin approach where you basically redo the offense every year and figure out what you're going to do. But I do think there's going to be a little bit of that where you're going to see things change, maybe not week to week, but every couple of weeks and see some like different things folded in. And I think that's what folks here are excited about to see sort of not trying to fit square peg into a round hole, but having a little bit more adaptability to, to what South Carolina wants to do. Well, and it's funny, like the Tennessee game, like you said, it was pretty simple. They they knew when to be creative in that game, um, especially with their packages. It wasn't very often, as you said, but they just basically were hitting the same vertical routes, attacking the weakness for Tennessee the entire game. Rattler played a brilliant game. It was like his most accurate game. I think I've seen him play as a college quarterback, uh, but it does seem like that that has some air raid vibes to it. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems like that's where he found success. And And there's been a little bit of talk of some more of that into this offense is that what you expect to see? And is that the thing that allows Spencer Rattler to sort of 
Like at Oklahoma, he was very efficient, but it wasn't down the field. Against Tennessee, it was very much down the field, and it was very effective. What is the thing that will unlock Spencer Rattler to be consistent? Because even last season, like I said, like 11 games, nine touchdowns. That's really hard to do in college football. And then the other ones, extraordinary. So I, what what is that the kind of thing you expect to see? Is it getting you know, to carry on Joyner more involved in a bunch of different packages? Like, what is the thing that unlocks Spencer Rattler? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I think that, it, you know, sort of connecting the two dots, like Marcus Satterfield talked a lot about last year, obviously, South Carolina is going to throw the football. They've got Spencer Rattler at quarterback. Like, you're not going to not throw the football. And to their credit, they did that. If you look at the numbers, and I just pulled it up, but like 2021, they threw 360 passes with Luke Doty and that sort of smorgasbord of quarterbacks and that whole mess. And we don't have to litigate that again. But Last year, they threw 420 passes. So that's 60 passes more per game over the course of a season. That's what, like six passes roughly more per game. Um, I'm doing some quick math here, and this is what happens when reporters have to do math, right? It needs, yeah, needs, to, go, it needs, to, it needs to go up from there. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I do think that South Carolina is probably going to lean into the pass a little more. You've got Antoine Wells coming back, who, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say he's the best returning receiver in the league this year, at least coming back on paper. Um you're going to see South Carolina, I think, attack the edges. They've got some guys that they like at receiver that are coming in and, and that they've done some some nice job developing there. I think people think a lot of Justin Stepp, who was at Arkansas briefly um, and overlapped briefly with Dowell Loggins, and, and he's done a nice job with that room uh, since he's been here. So I, I think that you're going to see South Carolina throw the football a little bit more. I think they have to lean into that. I think that the offensive line's a work in progress, so obviously, like, you know, on some level, a quarterback's as good as that much time he has. But I, I do think that South Carolina is going to push the ball downfield. I think that when they were at their best, they got the ball downfield um, last year. And the the offensive line play was a little inconsistent to start the year. It definitely settled down. It was really good against Tennessee. It was really good against Clemson, which is which is interesting because both those teams had pretty disruptive defensive fronts. Tennessee's a, a, a little bit less disruptive than Clemson, but right. but still good defensive line. So. I think that if South Carolina can kind of piece together the offensive line where it is going to have to replace about three starters um, now with some really experienced pieces, but where it's going to have to replace some guys, I think they're going to have a chance to be pretty good offensively. Um, and I think that that's sort of the general gist um, when you look at this South Carolina team on paper going into next year. And it's obviously a long way away. And these rosters are going to change between now and spring and the next transfer portal window. And maybe South Carolina brings some guys in here and there. We'll see. But this is a team that I think people think that the offense, I think, is going to take a little bit of a step forward. The defense might take a little bit of a step back because they do lose some really productive pieces there. But I think that because of that, those sort of two things, the offense getting a little better, the defense maybe taking a little bit of a step back can kind of mitigate each other. And I think that you're going to see a, not necessarily a similar South Carolina team, but like I don't think it's crazy to say that South Carolina team can finish, you know, whatever, second, third for sort of that up, upper middle portion of the SEC East this year. Yes, uh, all these conversations begin without including Georgia in those com- in the conversation. Uh, right. in the, Everyone in the behind Georgia. Everyone, right? Yeah, <laughs> they, they can finish at the top of the East minus Georgia, which is like everybody. Right. Kentucky, you know, Kentucky, Missouri's actually pretty optimistic right now. Tennessee's <laughs> optimistic right now. I agree. I, I was That's kind of how I was, from an outsider's perspective, just kind of looking at the team and studying the roster and knowing the coaching staff, I, I felt, you know what, the offense could take a step forward here. Consistency from Rattler. The pieces around him are pretty nice. The running game should be okay. Uh, but defensively, and you know that that the camaraderie and sort of the locker room stuff, the in-game management that Beamer's got complete control over, the special teams are going to be in good shape. So the questions then are about the defense. And if they have 
the upside of this team does seem tied to the defense, obviously Rattler's consistency, but tied to the defense. What questions do they need to answer in spring and in summer so that that they they can maintain sort of that eight win-ish territory and be in that conversation for second in the East? Yeah, so defensively, I think South Carolina is going to be good in the secondary again. They've got to replace two guys in Cam Smith and Darius Rush. Cam Smith's probably going to be a first-round pick in a couple of weeks, and when when the draft comes around, Darius Rush is a guy that you know folks I've talked to feel like he's going to be a, a second, third, fourth-round guy, um, and has really climbed draft boards as well at corner. So you got to replace your two cornerbacks, but but there's a lot of thought that Torian Gray has done a really, really good job at, at coaching that group and. Um, you know, folks here will say he's the best defensive backs coach in the country. <laughs> you know, you always like, you know, you always hear that from the inside. I, I think that is true, though. I think he's done a really good job with that group. Um, and they've got some guys, some young guys coming back on that back end. And and Nick Eamonwari and DQ Smith at safety and, and Nickel, uh, who were freshmen last year, that played just about every game last year, were really, really good and really impressive as freshmen. And I think they're going to help sort of be the backbone. You've got some other experience pieces coming back in the secondary that I think that even if they're not quite, you know, trotting out a first round cornerback, they're still right. going to be pretty good across the board. And, and they've recruited really well at that position as well at, at corner at safety um, over the last two years since Beamer's been here. So I think they feel pretty good that they're going to have sort of you bring in enough guys, you assume someone's going to be pretty good out of that group. Right. It's sort of the, the law of averages. You feel pretty good about that. But the, the biggest thing to me is the defensive line because South Carolina's got. Uh, they're losing pieces at defensive end. They're really, really thin. I mean, you know, we were out of practice a couple, probably a week ago now. There's like five guys in the defensive end room right now. And and that's a product of you lose Jordan Birch, who's transferred to Oregon. You lose Gilbert Edmond, who's transferred to Florida State. Uh, you know, Jordan Strawn is coming back. And the, and the thought that, you know, it hasn't, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, Beamer hasn't given an exact clarity on whether it's like officially official, but uh, the expectation is that he'll get a seventh year of eligibility after going down in week two last year. Um, I mean, it's not it's not really that long ago that in 2020, uh, you know, Strong led the FBS in sacks at Georgia State. So he's a guy that they feel pretty good about, assuming that he can get back healthy and and can help anchor that group. Um, there's some young guys on that defensive line that they feel pretty good about at edge, but it's still a thin group. And I think they'd like to probably go get another guy or two um, out of the portal and, and defensive tackle too. It, you lose a guy like Zach Pickens, who's a former five star recruit and was really, really good. And and it's hard to appreciate sometimes how good sometimes these defensive tackles are, you know, when they're not whatever Jordan Davis or something like that, you know, like sort of freak of nature or whatever. But but Zach Pickens was was for all intents and purposes, a really, really good player for South Carolina and is going to have an NFL career for sure. And and I think that they're deep there. They've got a lot of pieces there. I mean, this was a defensive tackle group that went probably, you know, six guys deep last year so there's pieces there but they're gonna have to get better on the in the trenches because i think that that's if you're not creating a pass rush it's going to leave that secondary it's got a a few question marks out to dry a little bit and i think that they're going to have to figure that out now they've largely figured it out the last two years so maybe you know it's a short track record so do they get the benefit of the doubt i don't know maybe not but i do think that south carolina has, has done a nice job sort of figuring those things out in the offseason. Clayton White's been a really good developer of talent, a defensive coordinator. And, and this has been a team that does a really good job, of, again, in-game adjustments. Like South Carolina's defense has been, again, there's not like a super great way to sort of define it, but South Carolina, as far as in-game adjustments and at halftime adjustments defensively, has been really, really, really good yeah. um, since Clayton's been the defensive coordinator here. And I think that, you know, you fold those things into a group that's that's steadily improving. I think South Carolina's going to, in theory, figure it out now, whether it's linear, we'll see. We'll let you go, man. Uh, obviously, you've been very gracious with your time, but just sort of 
a combo question to end pairing expectations with sort of roster building. Where, where is this roster today at this stage versus when Shane Beamer took over like one to 85? How is it comparable? And then what does that do for expectations after two seasons where you have to call it overachieving according to Vegas? What, what would make fans like roster packaged with fan expectation is seven and five disappointing for Gamecock fans is six and six disappointing is eight and four where they want to be like, Obviously, everybody wants to win everything, but like, what is reasonable relative to where the roster is? Yeah, I, I think this roster has gotten better. I think it's deeper than it was when South when this group staff got here. Um, I, I think that it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle too. And and you know, Will Muschamp didn't not recruit talent; it just never really came together. And there were maybe some hires that didn't work out here and there, and it kind of snowballed from there. But I do think that there was some talent on this roster. I mean. Jordan Birch and, and Zach Pickens were both five-star recruits that signed with South Carolina. Like that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> and, you know, there were guys like that who turned into really good players for this team um, that were left from Muschamp staff. Now on the flip side of that, Beamer staff has ramped up the recruiting. There's some really good players coming in. Um, it's definitely taken a step forward and you can see that sort of in the 24 class and maybe we won't see sort of the bare, that bare fruit for a couple of years, but I do think the roster top to bottom is a little more talented. It's a little deeper. They've got some pieces, obviously, at quarterback that they, you know, in Rattler that they feel really good about. They feel good about receiver. Um, they're going to be really deep at tight end. I haven't mentioned that, but like this is a tight end room that probably has like, I don't know, three to four guys that could probably be starting at most power five schools. Like that's going to be a really important group for this offense. Um, and I think that, you know, as far as expectations go, I think the roster is a little bit better, but of course we don't, that doesn't always translate to more wins. So, and I think that was the reality last year too, was like, I think this team is roughly about as talented as it was last year, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. It's sort of roughly around the same, but, but I think there's a world where this team can go win, you know, seven, eight, nine games. I think like six is probably a little bit below what this team and this program has as far as expectations, especially when you could bring a guy like Rattler back, right? Like, yep. Um, you know, I don't see this necessarily being a thing like, say, when Sam Howell came back to North Carolina and it fell off a cliff because the defense was a nightmare. You lost everyone you had productive that you had right. on the offense. Like, like you still bring back pieces that can be important pieces and be productive. Um, but I do think that, like, this is a team that probably, like, if South Carolina goes and wins seven or eight games, like, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. I don't see this team necessarily necessarily jumping out to being, like, a 10-win team and going and challenging Georgia for the East. Like, I just don't. I just don't think they're there yet. They're getting there. They're building that. But I think you're still, you know, th this is still a five-year building project. And, and it was still kind of a mess when Shane Beamer got here. So I think that, you know, transfer portal and, and all that, like I say this all the time, like you can fix Band-Aids. You can, you can sort of Band-Aid things a little bit with the portal and, and you can get impact guys for a year. But But building out a roster and building out a program still takes, I think, generally speaking, four or five years you know, yep. minus striking gold here and there. And so I think that South Carolina is still in the middle of that. And if they feel, if they can get to a seven, eight win season, maybe beat someone they shouldn't, like they've done the past couple of years. I mean, they've been pretty much good for one or two wins that you don't expect, obviously last year. And then, and frankly, the year before that too, um, you know, beating North Carolina in the bowl game was, was a big one as well, um, or beating Auburn and Florida down the stretch. So South Carolina has shown that they they can go catch some people. And I still think that, you know, despite last year, they're still going to be, Maybe a little under the radar. I think they're still going to catch a few teams napping, maybe um, yep. just yep. because of what South Carolina has been. And so I, I think that it's I think it's realistic to say that this can be like a seven, eight win team. I think that's a fair sort of 
judge on where this team is. And I, and I think people should be excited about that, considering, look, like, what, two years ago, this team was winning one, four games, fired Will Muschamp and was picked to finish, like, second to last in the East ahead of Vanderbilt. I mean, heck, like, I thought yeah. this team was going to win two games in 2020, in 2021. Yeah. So I, I think that that's a pretty solid sort of building block for where where Shane Beamer wants this thing to go. I mean, nothing but ahead of schedule in, in his first two seasons. There's no question about that. The funny thing is, though, that Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, and Florida could all be 7-5 and five with, with South Carolina, and we have no idea what to expect other than, like, Georgia 1, Vandy 7, and that's probably all we know. Uh, but we are going to find out a lot right away with Drake May and, and uh, Spencer Rattler going head-to-head -head in week number one, which is one of the best games in the SEC, so it should be fun. But that's a long time from now. Enjoy Augusta in a couple weeks, Ben. Have a good time, my man. Uh, thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, Braden. Thanks for having me, man. That was Ben Portnoy with actual, real South Carolina content. Actual analysis from inside the program. Just sat down with the offensive coordinator, Dal Loggins, and talked a lot about it. Shane Beamer has talked a lot about the install of the offense. They're throwing everything they can at the offensive players to get the new system up and running as fast as possible. They've got some nice weapons around Rattler. Uh, they've got to find some weapons, especially in the backfield. Uh, you've got a lot of people on that team that could have really big seasons this year on offense. A lot of it hinges on whether or not Spencer Rattler is consistent enough. And that's it. That's it. That's my take. I, I, if he, if he's great, wonderful. I sleep just no matter how many touchdown passes Aaron Spencer Rattler throws. I sleep exactly the same way every night, which is shitty. Uh, yeah, and that's well. So, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's years and years of practice. Yeah, exactly. exactly. To sleep yeah. the same amount of shitty that you've always slept. Right. You see these bags right here. Go to the YouTube page and check out the bags. Um, that's what kids and and everything else will do to you. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Ben is great. Ben's awesome. I hope South Carolina fans enjoyed that. I thought it was a very authentic and real and genuine conversation. I agree. I, I still think mustard is stupid to put in barbecue. What? Well, whatever. It's fine. It's got to end with a slight. <laughs> hey, if we're going to have some fun, we got to have some fun. Uh, uh -huh. Aaron, Aaron, where can people find you? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can get to me at Braden Gall if you want to tell me how terrible my takes are. And please send us all the shitty takes that you find out there. Send them all to us. We will debunk them on the show. I like there, this idea slash segment. There you go. Special thanks to Ben Portnoy for hanging out with him. Go check him out course at thestate.com for Aaron I'm Braden thanks for hanging out we'll talk to you guys next week this has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network just like that I'm out of spring steam already <laughs> <laughs>